0: listeners, there's honestly nothing I love more than a good writing retreat, especially one that comes with solid coaching and the chance to meet other writers who are working on similar projects. This fall, three author accelerator certified book coaches are offering what sounds like a dream retreat, if what you're working on is telling your own story. It's called Mainly Memoir, and it's a retreat for women writers in historic Biddeford, Maine. Mainly Memoir We'll provide three days in the gorgeous Maine woods in September with one-on-one coaching both before, during, and after the retreat. It is the perfect opportunity to give yourself the gift of time and focus so that you can make real progress on your memoir this year. Mainly Memoir will be held from September 21st through 24th, 2023. A scholarship is available for a memoirist from a community that has been traditionally underrepresented in publishing. Learn more at mainlymemoir.com, and as you've probably guessed, mainly is spelled M-A-I-N-E-L-Y. So that's Main the State. mainlymemoir.com. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay! Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone and try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now, one, two, three. Okay. I'm KJ Dell'Antonia, and this is Hashtag #AmWriting, the weekly podcast about writing all the things—short things, long things, pitches, proposals, fiction, nonfiction. This is the podcast about sitting down and getting your work done, which I have kind of done today. Um, I'm solo; it's just me and our guest. And uh, you know, I'll just—I'll just hold that in abeyance for a moment. I. And the author of the novels The Chicken Sisters and In Her Boots, and the forthcoming at the moment, if you're listening to this in real time, Playing the Witch Card, as well as the nonfiction book How to Be a Happier Parent, and the former editor and lead writer of The Mother at the New York Times, which I only leave in here so y'all will believe me when it comes to like freelancing and editorial stuff, because it's been a bit. It's definitely been a hot second. Okay. And I am here today with Jane Roper. Say hi before I announce you. Hi. (laughs) So people know I'm not just sitting here talking to myself, um, which sometimes I am. So Jane, at the moment, most fascinatingly, is the author of the recently released book, The Society of Shame, which is what? part of what we're going to talk about. It is satire. It is wild. It really goes there um, in a way that I think many novelists would be scared to do, so I'm excited about that. She is also the author of a memoir, Double Time, How I Survived and Mostly Thrived Through the First Three Years of Mothering Twins, another novel, Eden Lake, and she has a fun substack, which I just lost myself in, called Jane's Calamity. And um, if you have a minute, head to the show notes, click through to that, and read the um, the entry written by her quote-unquote intern, Tyler Hotchkiss, <laughs> a.k.a. ChatGPT, which made me laugh really hard. Oh, okay. good. So, I'm glad. Um, hi, Jane. Thanks for coming.
1: Hi. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I feel like thanks for coming is like some sort of a it's, it's as though I have a talk show and you're yeah. you know, <laughs> beside me in my desk. Thanks for being in your computer screen at the same time that I'm in my computer screen so that we can do this.
1: Indeed. Um, we just need a couple yeah. of ferns between us. and
0: we'll be between Ooh, us. that'd be a nice step. I could get some ferns. Like, or Maybe
1: some fake ferns. They'd be sort of more insane, Yeah, more talk showy.
0: Yeah. I'll bet those were fake ferns anyway. Probably. Probably. Yeah. All right. We might have to research that. Okay. So, um, I think, just just to plunge right into something completely different, I think you were the first graduate of the famous Iowa Writers Workshop we have ever had on the
1: podcast. Really? Well. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I bet there have been others. Sometimes people keep it on the down low, you know?
0: Mm. But,
1: yeah. Yeah, I went there. It was. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, I'm going to be, I mean, I'm assuming because, you know, it's been some time that this will not hopefully be poking any buttons. But I had to wonder how it would feel to come out of that place, which, you know, um, I have never been to, but I have read much about, as we all have. And I'm envisioning that sort of, um, you know, the guy in your MFA and all of that (laughs) other stuff. And I'm picturing you coming out of there and having your first book be a memoir about parenting. And as someone who's written a lot about parenting and felt... That parenting ghetto, I kind of wondered what that was like, yeah, so okay, actually, my first book
1: coming out of there was Eden Lake, which was a novel oh
0: okay, i got the i got the um I got the timing backwards. yeah sorry,
1: that was with like a, a teeny tiny press, and um so it kind of felt like the first bigger book felt like my my memoir um But it's, you know, that program, at least when I was there, was so focused on literary fiction, and you almost felt like you were, you know, (laughs) letting them down if you wanted to write other stuff. So I wrote this kind of like... You know, humorous memoir about parenting and about depression. And it definitely was nothing like anything I wrote at the workshop. When I was at the workshop, I was trying to write serious stuff and serious <laughs> short stories and, you of know, course. with profound, yes. profound points and subtle epiphanies and all this kind of stuff. Themes themes, man. themes, themes, yeah. symbolism, um, mm. you know, that kind of nice thing. touch. symbolism. Yes. Yes. Always good to try to fit some of that in an arc, yeah. an arc character development, but I, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> what I was good at was like the little stuff I was doing on the side, which was like writing humor pieces and writing, I don't know, just weird assorted things. And, um, I don't know. So what I wrote in the workshop really does not have much of a relationship with what I'm writing now, especially when it comes to the memoir. Yeah. And then my latest book, very different.
0: The I mean, so, well, first of all, we don't want to say that other books don't need themes and no, no, character they do. development and arcs because we, we all know that they do, but it's just, I feel like you're, um, in literary workshops, you're taught to approach that in a different way
1: um yeah it's less about story like people like plot is like a dirty word you know it's like no but there has to be like there has to be something to compel people to move forward and there has to be a sense of suspense in a way like one of my favorite teachers there was elizabeth mccracken who was there as a visiting (laughs) prof and i love her and i love her writing and um i took she
0: has somehow managed to achieve the impossible which is to make writing about parenting and family Literary, yeah. And, um, there's a few people that transcend that, and she is one of them.
1: Yes, she's she's done really well with that. Yeah, an exact replica of a figment of my imagination. Her memoir was so good and so sad. Mm-hmm. But I remember her saying, uh, talking about suspense and and saying that suspense, think of it as suspension and suspension bridge, and it's a it's a form of structure. So you don't have to be writing horror or thrillers to use suspense. It's it should be in in everything. Um, anyway, but I don't so, I don't know how I got there, but plot right there has to be plot Plot. and
0: there has to be plot and uh we can use that to segue into the question of the society stream which is so plotty yes it has all the plot it has all the plot yeah um let's see how should we talk about this for the benefit of people who have not yet read it but had better just be heading right out so i I, i'm not going to make you elevator pitch it, because it's so painful. Thank you. I will do it. Um, so, and you can tell me if I get it wrong. Sure. Uh, so, our protagonist, while in the act of discovering that her politician husband, who is running for Senate, is cheating on her, has a picture taken of her where you can see menstrual blood on her pants. And that goes viral because people pay more attention to that than the infidelity. Imagine, um, as we know, that people absolutely would. Yep. And then she gets caught up in, she's caught up in that. And then the Society of Shame, as described in the, and I don't, this, it's not really a spoiler. No, no, yeah, you can talk about the yeah, Society. Yeah, so the Society of Shame is a society of basically people who are famous for things that they never set out to be famous for. Some in sort of a blameworthy way and some in a less blameworthy way. And man, you really went there with like, you know, there's somebody who's famous for yelling at her kids and there's a guy who's me too. And, um, a woman who posed with a dead coyote and her children, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Which was hysterical. I mean, it was every, it was, it was exactly what you would picture a society of shame as, um, as looking like and I loved it. So this the the story goes from there and we won't we won't spoil anything, but you can hear, right? This is plot 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 plot. And also our protagonist sort of figuring out um what it is to be famous in a variety of ways. Um and what it is and trying to find what she actually wants, which no, no surprises not to be famous for having a bloodstain on her white face. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. She's trying, you know, she's someone who hates the spotlight and she's thrust into it in this way where she's sort of, um, you know, it, it's like a nightmare for her. So she has to figure out how to navigate that. Yeah. And say like, do I lean into this? Do I run away? If I run away, what does that say about me? Who am I? What am I doing? Yeah, you know, my marriage is falling apart. My life is falling apart. And, and, um,
0: Well, it's kind of interesting because you say she hates the spotlight and she says she hates the spotlight. And yet, and this is, I mean, one of the things that makes the book so great is yet she leans into being famous, at least for a while, and then ends up sort of asking yourself, well, do I really hate the spotlight? And, you know, I I loved how you, you had this woman in her basically 40s trying to look back and figure out, who she is because she's given up a lot of who she is in order to have the spouse and the family that she does. And I think that's A, so true for so many people, actually including, it's not really fair. I mean, that is gendered. Women do it all the time, but really we all make some compromises when we marry and have a family. So, you know, you change and then you get to a point where you can try and figure out what it was you really wanted to be. And that's where she is. But she's also presented with this possible identity on a, on a silver platter.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of right. When an identity is thrust upon you, do you take it or do you, you know, do you reject it? Do you try it on for a little while? And yeah. And she gets obsessed with what, because she becomes internet famous, she gets really sucked into and obsessed with what people are saying about her online. Of course, you know, and So she's almost letting the internet dictate who she is and rather than kind of staying true to her own values. So I would love to hear which bit of this came first.
0: Her, the scenario of somebody famous for having blood on their pants or the, you know, the cheating politician um, or the society of shame. And so do you remember like what, what came first
1: here? Yeah. I mean. It's What came first is I saw a news story, like it was going around online about a guy who came home to find his wife and her lover dead of carbon monoxide poisoning in the garage because they'd been fooling around. And somehow this got me thinking about like, how embarrassed, like, it's so humiliating to find out you've been cheated on. But imagine happen, it happening in this like scandalous way that then people are talking about, you know, that's on the Internet and everything. And then, so I was thinking about, I just always, ever since the dawn of the internet, you know, been fascinated by like online shaming and online fame and all this stuff. So I was thinking about that scenario and then I was like, all right, maybe if I have something like that happen and then just add even more to it by, you know, I was just thinking, what else could be really embarrassing? Like this public thing and then what could make it even worse? I'm like, oh, she could have a period stain on her pants. And then it just, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I don't remember the exact process from, uh, that quickly I guess that led to oh there could be a movement like there's this whole movement that develops in the book around yes we bleed and then you know maybe she uh, finds support in other people it, it I don't know you know it just sort of rolled from there
0: mm-hmm so one way to sort of get at what was there first and what what wasn't might be um do you remember any major revisions like, Tell me you know what what were some of that the stuff you had to um to revise to make sure worked
1: well, I think you know one of the things I had to had to do was to go back and layer in more of her relationships, especially her, mm-hmm. the story of her relationship with her daughter, which is what. Is, ends up being at stake, one of the things at stake as she's going through her, her journey. So, you know, it started out where I was super focused on the whole, you know, online shaming, cancel culture, scandals, internet famous, blah, blah, you know, and, and really having fun satirizing that. Um, but then I, I really did have to, and that was a lot of fun. Um, but then I did have to go back and, and deepen it and deepen the relationships.
0: Now, I love this because that feels to me like exactly the kind of thing that if you said to um, a young writer with or a, a new writer with a new draft. OK, you've got your plot here, but there's nothing at stake. You need to add in something that sticks stake. They would like sort of crawl under their desk weeping because it would sound like an entire rewrite, but it very much isn't. The the I can, I can ex I can I can both see what you mean here. Like I can having read it, I would never having read it, have thought to myself, Well, she pasted that in after the no, <laughs> never. But but as a fellow writer I can totally see how you can have had that entire plot arc and she changes within the plot arc. Right even if you were to subtract all the stuff about her daughter, but I can also see how it wouldn't have been enough. So um, that's really, that's really interesting. How did you feel when it came time to to go back in and amp that up?
1: Well, I I think at first I was resistant and it was, it was my agent who helped and and other, you know, beta readers who helped push me there. And I think part of me was like, no, this is satire. This is social commentary. I don't Mm. want it to get sappy and, and, I don't know, for some reason, the idea of like having a relationship with a 12 year old be central, I was like, oh, it's going to turn it too hallmarky or whatever. Um, so I did resist. And um, but I was, I felt like ultimately, I was able to do it so that it didn't take away too much from the sharp edges. But it was hard. And it's funny you saying like, you know the the young writer, or new writer, going you know crawling in, in, into their hole. Like I, the word stakes used to scare me so much, and because I, I feel like that's something that a lot of times beta readers or teachers or whatever will hover like, but what's at stake? Nothing's at stake. What's at stake? And I think it it is often often it's already there, and I'll find that a lot when I'm writing. It's there. Mm-hmm. The volume just isn't up high enough. Right, and, and you need to you, you maybe you're not even aware that, oh, I see like there's something that the character is risking losing, or something that they really want, that they um you know may or may not get, and it's just like amplifying that, yeah
0: yeah i i I love that um so let's let's talk about the satirical sort of elements of the plot um, did you? How do I I want to ask this? So I am thinking that I could see an editor or an agent resisting some of the characters that you created in your society of shame and saying, well, you don't want to sound like you might be sympathetic to someone who shot a coyote um, because people will be upset with you on the internet. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Shooting coyotes is probably okay. You're right. Oh, wolf. Um, it's not. It's not. Don't be upset with me, internet. Don't at me. Um, don't shoot coyotes. Either. Oh,
1: you're gonna get canceled um, for by the coyote <laughs> lovers.
0: <laughs> yes, totally. So that that amuses me—the idea that you would get canceled because you might have shown um, sympathy to some of these. And in fact, the Me Too character ends up being rather sympathetic. I mean, they all—they're all sympathetic. You know, you feel for. You do feel for the lady with the. Well, maybe even more so than the, the parent lady.
1: Yeah, I think she's one of the, the more forgivable ones. But yes, it was, I knew I was playing with fire. And mm-hmm. I think there probably were some folks, you know, editors who read it, who were like, ooh, this is too dangerous. Um, because there are characters that do pretty bad things, but they're still human. So, you know, they're not evil people. They've just done some bad bad stuff. And then some of them... But that's not okay. The, the,
0: people are just evil or they're not. Have you not read the internet? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Everything's evil. Yeah. there's It's all black and white. There's no in between, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's really like this, I don't know, maybe if you could boil the book down, it's like, you know, <laughs> the satire is about the lack of nuance, you know, mm-hmm. in so much of our Culture right now, you know, online and in the news and everything. But yeah, it it certainly was. I think you know, with satire, what is great about satire is you can poke at everything. You know, you can you you really can find even in the most um, seemingly perfect and virtuous people or ideas, you can find like the underbelly of hypocrisy or sanctimony. Um, and then, you know, on the flip side, you can take um, wrongdoing and show people's folly in trying to overcome their wrongdoing or try to reinvent themselves. Um, you can look, I, I don't know, I, I just love love the medium. And it's not something I had really done before. So, yeah, it was really freeing.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I think you said the word stakes scares you. The word satire scares me. I don't know that I'm... <laughs> I mean, I could be funny, but satire that sounds hard and um, you know like like there'd be really high expectations on it. When did you realize this was going to qualify as satire?
1: I mean, I think from the get-go, you know I think as soon as I came up with this idea that just that the the world and the internet would be fixated on her you know, the period stain on her pants, as opposed to her politician husband having an affair that just, even though I think it's realistic, even though that is completely realistic, it is. I mean, we basically, we live in a giant. We we kind of do. Yeah, Yeah, we kind of do. But like just that fact was commentary. And then Mm -hmm. from there it was like, Oh, you know, it have a lot of things happen and have it be commentary. It just kind of, Was able to weave itself right in, but mostly by me amusing myself. So maybe, I don't know, like maybe the way I see the world or something is like through a satire satire lens, Um, you know, which I don't know. I I don't think I'm a cynical person, but I probably, eh, eh, maybe a little bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard not to be a little bit of a cynical person. At the moment, yes, um,
1: indeed. But I love reading satire, like I, and I think that's certainly part of the inspiration as well. Like I love reading stuff on the Onion. I love reading McSweeney's, all that kind of stuff, and it's um, can be done so well. And then, but for me, it was also sort of a personal challenge. Like, can I figure out how to weave sat, like, turn satire into you know a whole book, a whole novel, and also have it have some heart to it?
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely challenging, and it also. Some so frequently in order to satirize the world we live in, um writers need to just dial the world up. So I'm thinking I'm thinking of of Dietland and The Startup Wife, which are two satires that I've read uh, relatively recently. And in both of them, it's the world we live in. But like. Even more so in an actual like measurable way, like, you know, um, there are bands of women kidnapping uh, men, or um, you know, we're all. I think there's a media are headed for the planet and startup. I don't know. There's a different pandemic. I, God, please. Um, I don't. I loved. The, I loved both of those, by the way, and I'll throw them into the show notes, please. Yeah, I haven't read Take the uh, startup
1: life. life. I'll have to check out that. I did read Dietland, but you're right. Yeah, I think that's what. That's what satire does, is it age. Well,
0: but I was going to say that you really didn't. And I think in a... I mean, like you did just... Just a just tiny bit. Only in that the movement that you created, Yes, We Bleed, which could... I mean, it could... It could exist. Totally. Like I yeah. I totally believe in it. So only in that that movement doesn't exist to me. Otherwise, you really stayed in existing reality did you get tempted
1: to sort of dial it up in any way um yeah but well (laughs) it is funny because it's it's a very um i don't know if silly is the word but like there it's it's farcical in some ways and yet Mm -hmm. you're right it's 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 farcical but in no way
0: it, doesn't, it could happen. It's no more farcical than the world we actually live in. Right. Whereas these other books had these elements of farce that you could go. It was kind of almost what makes it so wonderful is that the other satires have this thing where you can kind of go, oh, well, but at least we don't have, you know, that right. could never really
1: happen. <laughs> there's nothing in your book that made me go, oh, that. Could that happen couldn't anything. happen. I, don't, I mean, I feel like there's some things that maybe are like, a half degree more than could actually happen, maybe, you know, I Yeah, I mean, you know, would would
0: would this go to the extreme? Right. That it goes in. Um but you could see I mean something could. The answer is not everything will, but some things will and therefore, yeah, maybe.
1: And some of the things that I wrote, like, they started happening in the real world. So (laughs) I had to change. So please stop. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. But I, so I had, to, I had to change them. I mean, that's one of the things when you're writing contemporary and you're, if you're writing about social media, you're writing about scandals and politics and media and all this stuff. It's, it is, it's such a moving target. It can happen so quickly.
0: Yeah. Um, was there anything that you had to dial back on? Anything that your editor, your agent was like, just, just no, could we not? Please.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there, you know, it wasn't, there were a couple places where, um, my editor said, we need to hang a lantern here to show this is over the top. I hadn't heard that expression before huh. to hang a uh-huh. lantern. So for example, there's this really big over the top, crazy public pub- publishing party, like party for a book deal. And like, I knew when I wrote it, that's like, not that kind yeah. of thing doesn't yeah. really yeah. happen, but it's like, you know, she was like, maybe we can just hang a lantern to show that this is a little absurd. Maybe that was just because she works in publishing. Um, but no, now that you mention it, I did. Well, I guess I work in publishing too. So right, I did, right. But I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, just p- sometimes shine a little light to say like this is satire, or, like this is over the top, this is exaggerated. But mostly... How I, do you do that? How do How do you hang this lantern? I had someone throw in a line like, "Oh, I haven't seen a party this big since blah blah blah." You know, right? Um, to make it clear that it's unusual. But the thing that. I really had to be disciplined about, and which readers helped me be disciplined about, was not going overboard. Because when you're writing mm. funny, you, it can be you get into like Robin Williams mode, where you're just like brruh, joke, 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 and mm. and it's like whoa, okay, enough. Um, you have to be more, you know, selective, right? Because too many funny things in a row is not as funny. But when you have just a few, that emphasizes the funniness of them. So I think that's a a good thing to keep in mind when it comes to humor writing of course at any writing you have to like do the you know kill your darlings thing um but yeah it's like you got to kill your darling jokes because you don't want <laughs> you want the really good ones to stay mm-hmm. um, but no, you can't keep all of them
0: yeah I could see that that was hard would be hard although be less funny seems like a good note to get
1: yeah right yeah I guess so well or yes they weren't all equally funny though you know it's like let's get rid of the stinkers <laughs>
0: That's kind of what I wanted to talk about. I I love, I guess my last question would be how there was a a significant gap between um, Eden Lake and the Society of Shame, but how was the experience of writing the Society of Shame, which is more commercial Less literary, and as we've just really you know, hung a lantern on, satire,. <laughs> yes., um, how was the experience of writing that different than
1: the experience of writing Eden Lake? So much more fun. and i <laughs> I wrote a, a, another whole novel in between Eden Lake and this novel that did not get published. I worked on it for five years. It was very i don't I don't know if I'd call it Uber literary, but I, it was serious it was about serious mm-hmm. topics. Um, But I really felt liberated once I decided to write this book. It was kind of like, what I'm doing is not working, right? What I'm doing is not getting publishing success. So I'm going to try something different. And I really just kind of was like, oh, screw trying to write literary. I'm just going to write what I find fun and um, not worry so much about, like, who it is or isn't going to impress and um, and that, you know, in doing so, I feel like I really found my voice. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's, it's really, I mean, it's great voice.
0: So now I said that was my last question, but I totally lied because you just said something that people are really, I think going to want to hear more about. So you had a whole book that yes. it sounds like you have an agent. Yes. You sounds like you were submitting. Yep. And you had to make that. Call to if if nothing else, put it aside for the moment. Can you talk a little about what it took to get you to the point of just saying? And were you writing something else already, or you know? How, can,
1: can you talk about the story. agony? Can you talk about that really hard, yes, miserable the, thing that Dylan wants to talk I'm, about? I'm, Please, yes. I'm over it now, so it's not okay. As good, as, it's not as painful anymore. <laughs> but it was. I mean. I put it aside because I didn't really have a choice. Like we'd submitted to like every freaking publisher there was. And I was submitting it then after my agent, you know, sort of gave up on his end, I was submitting it to smaller presses and it really just, you know, I, I just had to say, okay, I'm, you know, this, I got to move on just like with anything, you know, like a breakup or a death. It's like, there comes a point you just have to just lick your wounds and and move on. And so I did that. And I mean, at that point, I really vowed never to write fiction again. I was like, oh, forget it. No, just clearly like I can't go through this again. But and that's why I sort of said, like, you know, i got to do something different. But I also said I'm not going to spend so much time on a book when I don't Mm. have. I mean, there's never a guarantee that something's going to get published, but at least a reasonable, you know, at least some hope or some reasonable mm-hmm. thought that the book is going to get published. Um, so I wrote this book really quickly, and that was a, a good thing. But, oh, my God, that, I mean, it's miserable to just to get your book rejected by, like, 30-plus publishers, this thing that you've labored so hard on. And I put, yes. I put a lot – you know, one of the threads in it was childhood cancer because my daughter is a cancer survivor. She had leukemia when she was um, five, and, you know, I have a childhood cancer that – is a big part of that, that book, which is maybe why it didn't get published. I don't know. But you know, when you when it's something really personal in a book and something Mm -hmm. really painful that you've written about, it's that much harder.
0: I think that's, I mean, that's sort of just intriguing me because I'm torn between on the one hand, when we do something too quickly, and we don't take the time to make it as good as we can make it, our odds of success are not very great. But on the other hand, I think you are right to suggest that You know, something either has the seeds of success in it or not, and how we tell the difference between yes, this is worth working on more, and um, no, maybe this is one that's going to turn out to be um, something you set aside.
1: I don't have an answer to that. No, Um, I, yeah, I don't know if there's any way to tell because certainly. Things get published, and books can be wonderful that people work on for 10 years or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's not to say... And then there are books that people write in three months that become bestsellers. So, yeah, there is no formula. I mean, the one thing I will say is, I think if you're churning and churning on something for too long... like. I had a a novel that I wrote before Eden Lake that also didn't get published, and I would, you know, meet with rejection and then be like, okay, well, I got to change it, you know, but I'm going to do this differently and then get more rejection and be like, oh, I'm going to change it again to the point where it's like, well, it is what it is. Like, I can't, I, I don't know, not not that you can't respond to negative feedback and, and use it productively, but it started feeling like this Frankenstein novel that I was just mm. trying to mold in the image of what I thought other people wanted, and it just got ugly and just drifted away from what, its essence. And it, you know, so I think you can, you can over revise stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great to have a magic formula to know when
0: we were at that point, but I guess knowing the point exists is all we can leave you with. This is true. Yeah, it does exist. <laughs>
1: All right, well, let's let's take a
0: second and then we will come back and talk about, yay, what we've been reading. Kids, this is KJ, and I feel, stop me if I'm wrong here, that perhaps you or someone you love would enjoy reading one of my books. You can't go wrong with the Chicken Sisters, a tale of rival fried chicken restaurants and rival sisters in a small town trying to tr- solve all their problems via reality TV. Always a good idea. and. Many readers like In Her Boots even better. That one's a fun story about figuring out who you are, as opposed to who you think everyone wants you to be, that also delivers a literary hoax, a farm life, and an ex who can't seem to find the exit. Or give future you, or anyone you love, a lovely gift by pre-ordering Playing the Witch Card for next Halloween's witchy reading fun. Bookstores, people! Head to one now. Alright, I always love to start with the guest. That's you, in case you didn't know.
1: So, what have you been reading? What have you been reading and loving lately? Okay, so I just finished a book called *The One* by Julia Argy. In fact, have you heard of it? Yes. So I, I, I have. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I was in conversation with her last night, actually, at the Harvard Bookstore, and she—it's her debut novel. It's about a well, it takes place in a reality, you know, dating show. Mm -hmm. And it's about this young woman who is a contestant on the show who really doesn't kind of know who she is yet. She doesn't really fully understand her own desires, but it's really fun to read, especially if you watch those kinds of shows. And I, I don't watch a ton, but I do watch, I have been watching Love is Blind and, but it just shows the kind of the, you know, the, the, um, artifice of it and the way Mm -hmm. it's all molded and the performative nature of love, but asks a lot of questions about that. Like what is desire? What is um, what is authentic when it comes to dating, or or how we portray ourselves? And then there's a, a romance in it as well that isn't the romance you expect. Um, <laughs> it's just really, yeah, it was a really interesting. It was very thought provoking, in spite of the the subject matter sounding kind of fluffy. It was actually really um, a lot give you a lot to chew on.
0: Yeah, i i would I would agree with that. It's both got that fluffy piece, but also and and a touch of satire as yes, well. Dare For sure. we say? Yes. Just yes. probably
1: why you were in conversation. Yes, um. indeed. Yep. Um, should I tell you another one? Sure. Okay, I'm also reading um, "Daughters of Nantucket" by Julie Gerstenblatt, which is a historical novel, and it takes place in Nantucket in 1846, and it's about Three different women, so it follows three different women's stories. One woman is like a whaler's wife, one is a. Oh
0: man, that never ends well. Yeah, right. Fiction. Yeah. One
1: is a scientist.
0: It's sort of like telling me somebody's a dog in a book. Yep.
1: Like, oh, yeah. No, yeah. Yep. No, that's no. not going to end well. It's, it's like, like well. the dude
0: who goes down to the planet
1: with Captain Kirk.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Spock. You don't want to <laughs> be the whaler's wife. Okay. Yeah, sorry if, if that spoils name. anything from anyone. But no, no I'm just. No, no,
1: no, no. Okay. It's all right. Um, yeah, and actually, my favorite part about the whaler's wife is that the the whaler um, gives her a, an ivory um, toy to have to herself while he is away, um, if you can imagine what that might be. Something carved of ivory to keep her company. That's really funny. I had no idea. It's a real okay, thing. Yeah. Worth, you- worth reading for that alone. For sure. Right? And then there are two other women. One's a scientist who um, is gay and which is not an easy thing to be in eighteen forty six and the other is a black woman free black woman, like there's actually a, a there was a thriving black middle class population um in Nantucket in the nineteenth century. So you get and, you know, all these characters yeah. and stories intertwined. I'm not usually a, a historical fiction person, but it's really it's really compelling. Just the setting is really is very compelling. That sounds really good. Yeah, I'm not normally historical fiction too,
0: although but there are definitely exceptions. So I might have to look that one up. All right. Well, let's see what one book that I was thinking of when we were talking. We was, specifically, when we were talking about how in literary fiction often nothing happens, so I just read a book called *Misdemeanor* oh, by Eleanor Lippman. Yes. Um. Yeah. So uh, this falls in the category of backlist because I, this is I have a paperback and it's out in paperback from being out in the hardback, and I feel like it's got this amazing hook, which is. Um, that there's a, a young woman lawyer who's arrested for indecent exposure for having sex on the roof of her building and ends up under house arrest in part because she defends herself and annoys the judge. So there's this hook, right? And then from there, honestly, very little happens. I mean, it does. I really liked this book. But, but it, is not, it is not plotty. Well, and yet it is. Like, plot happens, but it doesn't feel plotty. I don't even know quite how to to, um, to describe that. Because as I think about it, I'm like, well, no, wait, actually quite a lot happens. Maybe because she can't leave her apartment, it doesn't feel like things happen? Because they totally do. And yet it feels very um, interior
1: yeah. and quiet. I'm it, so but in a good way. When books can do that, when they cannot be plotty and yet... I'm still turning pages, you know, and yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if the secret
0: is, or maybe the it's the opposite that this is plotty and I didn't feel that it was plotty. I don't, I don't exactly know, but um, it was, it was definitely entertaining. And it's Eleanor Lippmann so you know it's going to be good. Right, right, um, yeah, totally like, worth, worth grabbing. So that is, that is, that's me. That's my recent, my
1: recent reading. Nice, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs>
0: This is the part where we finish the ferns um, our discussion between the ferns or whatever so thank you so much this was really great. thanks for being willing to sort of go there on the topic of the book that the, the book that wasn't and thank you. you know all of the other all of the other good stuff for listeners, I note again seriously grab the society of Shame. you will definitely um, enjoy it and I wanted to steer you to Jane's calamity, which is, uh, your substack, and um, is also super fun and a great read and definitely reminds me of blogs of
1: your Right. Well, hey, way. I'm an old school blog. I've been blogging since 2005, man, yeah. or six, so it, yeah. And it yeah. shows, but yeah. in a good way. <laughs> old school, old school, but thank you. Old thank school, you so the original. Fun.
0: Yeah. All right. What's your favorite social media in case anybody would like to follow you
1: somewhere? These days I'm very Instagrammy yeah yeah, that's where it's at. Although I what yeah, Instagram writer Jane Roper is who I am on Instagram. I okay. like I like the Facebook also, but um, yeah, I'm probably on Instagram more these days. Cool.
0: All right, everybody? Look for Jane on Instagram. Look for the Society of Shame. Everywhere books are sold. Look for Jane's Calamity on Substack, which is, of course, also where you find us if you're looking in that particular way. Um, although, if you just like to get a newsletter and you like blogs, you don't even have to know what Substack means. It does not matter. Um, and that's it. So, let's see. You could also get our show notes on Substack. I am writing podcast. You can follow me on... Instagram. If you're following people on Instagram, I'm at, at KGDA. Until next week, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. The Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work.
1: Oh